All right. Well, welcome to Mixed Media. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Definitely check out our our other stuff on our pages. I would really appreciate it. So today I'll be talking about inflation. So I've talked about this before on the channel. It was actually a quite popular episode, I think, in retrospect. So if you want information that I won't be covering here at all, um, and this is entertaining information because nothing I say on the show is uh, is financial advice. You can ingest it how you please. You can do your own research and come to your own financial, legal, medical, educational, whatever call uh, <laughs> uh, conclusions that you want to. I am not responsible for your decisions, so don't sue me. That, that is my disclaimer at the top of this. But yeah, there you'll find some uh, interesting stuff about inflation. I'm going to come at it from a different angle this time because while I was extremely right, more than right, about the inflation situation as it stands, I was also a lot softer on the situation than it ended up being. So I remember uh, saying that uh, I think I said something like 8% would be uh, quite high. And uh, I didn't imagine that I would actually be seeing an 8% number appear 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 before me. So uh, this is a bit of a different situation. There's a lot of different complex things going on. But again, this is uh, entertainment for you to ingest and uh, you make your own decisions. I'll be going through essentially this, the situation as it stands right now, because it's really not the same as it was when I talked last time. And then I'll be going over what I'm doing or have been doing about it. The first thing though, is you're, you're listening to this and you're like, okay, this is an art podcast. Why the heck is he talking about inflation? And one, this is, you know, the, I, I have a good bit of financial literacy, so I do want to share that in general. But particularly for artists, I think that uh, a lot of times artists don't tap into the financial literacy aspect of things. And while that could provide them the freedom to do what they want in ways that I don't think are well understood or well appreciated in the art world. So if you're an artist, if you're self-employed or whatever situation you are, honestly, any of this information could be useful. Wherever you are, I just hope that you take this information and that will help you gain freedom through troubled times because those are the scariest times to be an artist you are not an essential service in the sense that, you know, if you, you don't exist, the, the world will explode. Um, <laughs> if all artists didn't exist, that, then the world probably would explode. But, you know, I mean, you as an individual, uh, unfortunately, you're kind of expendable when the, when the economy is not, not doing so great. It's good to keep, to keep your eyes on the things that will help you stop being seasick, because um, I definitely understand that feeling, because I am very vulnerable right now because I'm self-employed, I'm an artist, and I'm trying to scrap it out and make, make this thing myself, just like the rest of us. So that, that's the motivation here. That's why it's on mixed media. So a brief definition of inflation, uh, not definition, or just, I guess, off the top of the head, uh, description of inflation, because if you, even if you didn't watch the last one, um, you will not understand everything, anything I'm saying from here on out if you don't understand what inflation is. Inflation is essentially the decrease of buying power is one way to think of it. There's actually many competing theories of inflation, so I, I, won't, I won't bore you with it. I'm just going to use the most useful and understandable uh, understanding of it. But basically, it's the reduction of uh, buying power of a fiat currency. So in the United States, our fiat currency is the United States dollar. So my $1 can buy less, essentially, because inflation goes up. Now, normally we do have inflation year over year that's between 1% to 3%, depending on the year. That's what our Federal Reserve has decided is good for growth, for economic growth. There's dispute about that. I have no opinion um, one way or the other. But 1% to 3% is what's considered to be normal as, as of uh, late. So that's what inflation is. So you can expect that inflation is high. It's higher than 3%. And you expect that your that prices are going to go up, or or in some indirect way or direct way, your dollars are not going to be able to go as far as they normally would. Last time I talked about the Federal Reserve, and I and I said some things, and I, I was very like tentative about saying them because I don't want to come off as weird or something like that. But now that I've been vindicated, I feel like I can say whatever the heck I want. <laughs> the Federal Reserve is a cheerleader for the economy. There are many things, and there's ma there are many things I could call them that I, that I, or have nothing to do with this discussion, so I won't. Um, but the the thing that I think people need to understand as to why 
you can understand why they would lie is because one of their functions, one of the things that we've come to see them as doing is taking care of the economic health of the country. They're not just seen, I'm talking about seen, I'm not, I'm not talking about chartered. They're not just seen as monetary policy, they're seen as all economic policy. If you read articles about the Federal Reserve, you'll see this, that they'll talk about things that don't sound like monetary policy related, like grocery prices or or i don't know inequity in grocery prices or something like that right this seems more like a, something that congress should deal with but you know the federal reserve is commenting on these things and the reason why is because over time they've been seen as the arbiter of economic health right for right or for wrong so that's why i could see why they would not be completely truthful about their analysis or at the very least extremely ne negligent about their analysis or at least telling you the best side of things that they possibly could because they don't want you to, to they don't want people to lose confidence in the economy because once people lose confidence in the economy things tend to crash <laughs> um, first, the stock market because it's a fickle one. Um, <laughs> the the you know the the thing they're worried out, about the most by far is definitely the stock market too. Don't don't let them lie to you. They'll say ah, the stock market doesn't measure economic health, and they're right about that. By the way, stock market health does not mean uh, economic health, but they care a lot about the stock market because that's primarily where their influence seeps into the the the, the easiest. So it's the, the, the area where they have the most tangible control. They don't want the stock market to crash. They don't want the economy to crash. So what do they say? Everything is great because economic health is partly the confidence of consumers, the confidence of business people affects economic health as well. If you don't think that you know, your investment is going to do well over the next year because uh, the economy is about to crash, then you're not going to invest, right? And they don't want you to, they don't want that. And they don't want to be blamed for whatever happens if that happens. So they're incentivized to tell you everything is good all the time, as they still do today, which is increasingly a, a, a funny thing to watch. That's why when they kept saying inflation is transitory, you have to take that with a grain of salt and, and look at why they're saying that. Look at their data, their tables, all this kind of stuff. Why are they saying it's transitory? When you look at it at the time, there was no reason for, the, for them to believe it was transitory practically speaking. Um, and that's why my prediction was correct. So the Fed is currently saying that, okay, inflation is not transitory, but it will end at, 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 at a sooner date than, than you would, uh, you would ex that people expect and the economists are starting to project. It's going to end sometime in uh, halfway in 2022 or something like that, or maybe the end of 2022 or, or something like that. You know, a longer time period than they uh, originally predicted, but still shorter than, let's say, inflation is going to be around for the next five to ten years higher than controllable or we're going to have a crash sufficient to correct the inflation problem but it's going to be nasty right they want to say everything's going to stay healthy and chug along until the end of 2022 and inflation is going to cool down by 2022 and everything will be great this is also not true uh, I, i'm going to put myself on the record uh saying that that is not a accurate depiction of the scenario and i'll go through a few things that i think are particularly egregious that they're saying and you'll see these things echoed everywhere from media to politicians to everywhere you'll see these things echoed and i don't think anyone understands what they're talking about and that's putting it uh lightly um the first thing is a lot of, i see a lot of people saying wages are going up and uh that <laughs> i i find that really interesting there's actually an interesting poll i don't remember who did the poll and i don't remember um the exact numbers of the poll but if you polled people more people would say they'd rather have high in uh, let's say 10 percent inflation with eight percent wage growth than eight percent inflation with 10 percent uh wage growth which that reflects a lack of understanding <laughs> of, how, of how things work because literally if your if your wages are going up eight percent but inflation's going up 10%, your wages, your real wages, that's the technical term for it, your real wages have gone down 2%, uh, 10 minus eight, you know, roughly speaking, your real wages have gone down 2%. So you're actually not, your wages are not inflating. So wages are going up, but true inflation is not known because inflation is not a, an equation. It's not, it's not something you can just go and plug in an equation and find the, the, uh, the inflation number. 
In fact, there are so many different equations that that's something that everyone quibbles about all the time is which inflation equation to use. Right. Okay. Isn't there, you know, uh, it depends on like what, what you put, what's the, you know, I'm trying to remember my, the, the term from um, macroeconomics that I did, you know, macroeconomic theory that I did. And, like it's what basket you're using. I think it's the mm -hmm. term that they use, right? Like you mm -hmm. basically what, what, what goods, what particular goods you're measuring and, you know, is it representative of other things in that sector or of other sectors overall? Yes, exactly. I think part of this uh, misunderstanding comes from misunderstanding on the public's part. I think there's a lot of negligence from people who actually do know better, including the Fed. But misunderstanding on the public's part is that people don't know as much about the economy as they want you to believe. This is partly because, and this is more my opinion than, and I think opinion of many people, but more my opinion than I could say I know 100%. Economics is this thing that when you change one thing, because you're, whatever model you have says change the thing, it has unpredictable results necessarily, fundamentally. Like mathematically, there's no way for you to know. It's, if you've taken a differential equations or something nerdy like that, you'll know there are concepts called like unsolvable differential equations. Um, and they're quite common in mathematics. They're quite common in actuarial sciences. And the essential point I'm getting at is that centrally planning economic, even small portions of economics is sometimes mathematically impossible. So whereas people want to pretend it is possible, it's mathematically impossible. Um, the mere knowledge that you gain by running your models, even if they're 100% accurate, changes the entire model. That's what I mean. It's philosophically not possible. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that that whole thing. But <laughs> but the point is, is that inflation is not a, a, an equation you can just plug in and, and get the number. When the Fed comes out with their inflation numbers, when it's higher than expected, expect that they could not fudge the equation to make it look better. That's what happened. So from year to year, the, the Fed will change the equation. From month, from month to month, sometimes they change what sectors they're looking at. They'll, they'll tell you this if you look at their white papers, and they'll tell you it verbally, too, you know, if you listen to Jerome Powell and other people speak. They'll say it verbally, but that's not what you see in the filtered article that you, you get out of that summarizes the, uh, the, uh, the meeting, right? You're not going to get what factors they looked at this time. So they'll say, oh, well, we don't want to look at this because this, 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 and this. Well, these are all human human things, right? It's not going to give you an aggregate understanding of things. And an aggregate understanding of things might be fundamentally impossible, is what I'm, what I, what I'm trying to tell you. Oftentimes, the best measure is actually just feel. How does it feel when you, when you go out to the store and you go try to buy something? How does it feel if you're a business owner to try to work with your supply? Are things generally rising? If you want to know what real inflation is, all that matters is its impact to you, you know, as a... Uh, as a regular person, right? You're not centrally planning. You don't care about how things interact with each other. You just care about your bottom line, right? So if you think about it from your bottom line, inflation is your dollars going a lot less far, your life becoming a lot less hard to manage at the same quality of life, right? Uh, one random example again. More difficult, so, right? Yeah, more difficult, yeah. <laughs> one thing that's interesting that doesn't get put into inflation is time. Time is not measured in infla uh, inflation. Uh, a great example that I've seen some people uh, posting about all over the internet uh, in comment sections. Uh, I love reading comment sections about uh, these financial things because you get the on the ground truth, what's called ground truth, right? You get people's real experiences. You know, some people who work with supply chains are saying uh, that they uh, not, you know, sometimes their supply is not necessarily more expensive, but it takes longer to arrive. That's a different type of inflation because they have to pass off that inefficiency to the consumer. Or you get a different kind of inflation that's even harder to measure, which is because, they, because there are not enough employees at the call center of that, supply, uh, that supplier, when you have an issue with that supplier, it takes you, instead of two hours to resolve that issue, you know, get on the phone and talk to someone, now it takes two weeks to resolve that issue that kind of inefficiency is like extremely hard to measure with inflation. So that's all to say it's difficult. Okay, so here's some of the things. So we just talked about wage inflation. 
It's not keeping up as far as we know. It depends on the numbers that you look at, which is why I gave that whole disc disclaimer. Wages are not keeping up and things change at different times. So like wages might spike 15%, let's say year over year in, you know, for in some small time period. But then if you stretch it out to the future that you don't know anything about, wages might actually, you know, that that sharp increase might last for such a short period of time that overall in that whole time period wages actually only went up 8% if you looked at a larger a larger uh, time frame. So you can really manipulate these numbers in a in a very bad way that don't doesn't give you any meaningful information. So real wages are not likely to be uh, compensating for the monetary inflation that we're experiencing. The second thing that people don't appreciate when it comes to wage inflation is that capital is concentrating like crazy. What I mean by that, I mean the extremification of rich and poor is just, and it, the pace is absurd. Like, I, I, like it's absurd how much richer and people are talking about one percent. We're not talking that. That's not even the group we're talking about. We're talking about the the top point one percent is getting massively more wealthy than even their peers below them. You know, like that's how extreme the stratification is happening. And the bottom, you know, 10% is, uh, you know, with inflation, it looks like things are going up, but they're, they're lagging a lot slower, a lot slower, you know, than uh, everyone else. Now, this happens, why? Because if you kill small businesses with inflation and other problems, if you kill, if you kill the smaller companies, the millionaires, right, the millionaire class, um, you kill, you know, uh, businesses that are worth, you know, less than a billion dollars, Who's going to take the business? So imagine like your grocery store around the street dies because of economic pressures, uh, and Walmart just sucks up that uh, that 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 business. Everyone now has to go to Walmart, the big box store. This is something I care. You might say, "Well, I don't care." Um, I think that's grossly mistaken if you don't care. But you know, that's my opinion. But if wages, wage inflation, so you know, people might be able to find a replacement job. But that replacement job is no longer with that mom and pop shop. That replacement job has now moved to these gigantic mega, mega corporations. So the dynamics are not the same. It's not like a literal one-to-one, -one, you know, uh, situation. And then the last thing uh, with regards to wage inflation is that there's an automation bubble. So imagine you are McDonald's is the classic example. Your burger flipper is literally a number to you because you're a big corporation and everybody's just a number, basically. Um, and the number is how much does it cost to get this person to flip burgers on a stove? At a certain point, if wages keep inflating, a big company that has big reserves like McDonald's is going to invest in replacing you with a machine. It, it will make more sense at a certain point to take money they would have spent on your wages and also putting up with you and all the things that come with humans take you and replace you with a machine. So if wages inflate, that might not be as good of a thing as you might think it is, especially if real wages start inflating, inflating too much. The, the, the funny thing is you get this thing called uh, price wage uh, spiraling, which happens when prices go up. And in order to, for people to stay, to want to stay at their jobs, people have to offer higher wages to, to keep uh, the, 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 so people can live the same with the same, by the same means that they have been. Then the prices that those people are, the prices of the goods that those companies are producing have to go up in order to compensate for uh, the, their workers costing more. Then prices go up, then the workers have to be paid more. So you get this, like, it's called a wage price spiraling. So this is not a good thing, in short. You know, no matter how you slice this, it's a, essentially a, a symptom of stagflation, which I won't go into. The second thing, the second lie I would say, is that the Fed will just raise rates in order to, to help. Now, I'm not gonna explain what that means. You can look up, don't let some major media site explain what rates are. Just go to like some encyclopedia or something instead um, and, and look up what raising rates, or go on YouTube actually, you'll probably find uh, generally better uh, uh, exp explanations from random YouTubers and, ex and have them explain to you what rates are. Now, the only thing I'll say is that when rates go up, debt is cheaper, or sorry, debt is more expensive. When rate, rates go down, debt is less expensive. So it's easier for banks and, and entities to acquire debt when rates are down. This incentivizes people to take on debt, which is incentivizes people to try to grow their businesses or pay off uh, whatever 
they're trying to do. Now, this is a, a thing the Fed controls exclusively, which I could rant about, but that's not for today. <laughs> the problem here, though, is that rates are extremely low right now because of the crisis that we were experiencing before. They wanted to make sure that rates were as low as possible so the stock market didn't crash because ultimately rates affect the stock market in a very sensitive way. So when rates went down, the stock market boomed. This boom that we're seeing in the stock market is a byproduct of two things. It's a byproduct of rates being low and inflation being high. The, the lie that's going around right now is that the Fed will raise rates to curb inflation when necessary. Now, they've been saying they'll raise rates for the past six months. Every month, they're like, oh, not this month, next month. Oh, not this month, next month. Okay, they're not going to raise rates. I'll tell you why, or they're not going to raise rates anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go get into a different topic, but um, they might raise rates, but I'll tell you why they're reticent to or may never. When you raise rates, the stock market is going to die, guaranteed. The moment you raise rates, stock market dies. The moment you raise rates, the, the, uh, which has cascading effects everywhere else, not because of the underlying assets are going to die because the stock market dies, but because people's pensions are going to die. People's 401ks are going to die. People's hedge fund investments are going to die. And what this does is it does a whole bunch of unpredictable things to the economy, all of which is shocking. When things change too quickly in the economy, you get crashes. I'm not going to bore you with that, but they can't raise rates. They can't do it because they've already let the cat out of the bag. They, 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 we saw this in the last recession too, you know, with quantitative easing, with, with changing of, of rates up and down. We never went back to the rate that we had pre-2008. And they might make a million and one excuses as to why they would do that. But you can look back to October of 2018 or 2019, uh, back when I was an early stock investor. All of a sudden, my portfolio went, and I didn't understand the Fed raising rates would do that to my stock portfolio because they tried to raise it by like some 0.1 or 0.2%. And the stock market was like, no, oh no, panic, panic, panic. Everything crashed and they, they decided, no, we're not. We're just, we're going to go back to what we did before. We're just going to leave everything because they don't understand how to control things as well as you, as well as they would like you to believe. They can't raise rates because it'll kill the economy. And they can't let inflation go forward because it'll kill the economy. What's the common denominator? The economy dies, right? Either way, it's just a choose your own adventure of, uh, of uh, which way it dies, which way is better. And uh, it would be better, in my opinion, if they rose rates, but that's not, I'll say, politically advantageous for them at, at the moment. So that's the rate discussion that is a lie, in my opinion. The third thing is, oh, just buy a house because houses are inflating faster than inflation. This is my favorite because it's not easy to buy a house. <laughs> you can't just up and decide. Ben, if you decided right now that you want to buy a house to combat inflation, could you just go and buy a house? <laughs> Certainly not in LA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The thing is, the funny thing is, these people, I, I saw this news report where this person said 50% of people are invested in homes. And they're saying it as if that was a protecting thing. 50% of people are not invested in homes. <laughs> that means, so, oh, half of people have no inflation protection with, their under, with an underlying uh, real estate asset. Whoopty, great. We're in a great situation. <laughs> Housing is in a bubble. I, I'm not going to bore you with the details again. I'm going to say that a lot. This bubble may pop at any time. It's very similar, eerily similar at this point to 2008. Not in the, the cause, but in what's being trying, what's, what the government is trying to do in order to combat it which is going to end up exacerbating the bubble. So the Fed and Congress is talking about making our mortgages easier to acquire, which might sound good because you're like, oh, mortgage is easier to acquire to uh, you know, buy houses that might otherwise have been too expensive. This is not, that's kind of the 2008 logic. <laughs> what you end up with a whole, is a whole bunch of bad mortgages. Now, I don't believe it would be as bad as 2008, those mortgages, because no one's going to make balloon mortgages anymore because that, that was... That was a, uh, I think it might have even been uh, the HUD, the urban development, uh, housing and urban development. The urban development. Yeah. Um, they, they changed some loan structure to allow for people to offer mortgages that had balloons, balloon, balloon payments in them. That was previously illegal. Then, they, then housing prices were going up so much that they said, okay, let's allow for alternative financing to people who might not otherwise have qualified for it in order to allow people to pay for these homes so that uh, Americans can have 
access to uh, buying homes. Now, this doesn't work because you get a whole bunch of crappy loans and then you get the government having to bail out and the economy crashing. Now, we're doing this again. This is being proposed again. I don't think we'll see balloon mortgages um, or anything like that because that's too taboo since 2008. I don't think it'll be as bad, but we're seeing the same sort of language of, well, houses are becoming too expensive, so we need to make mortgages cheaper. And uh, I don't think that's a very good route to go. Those are the things that I think people need to be aware of as to what to look out for in terms of the lies, in my opinion, lies that are being told about inflation. In terms of what catalysts might make inflation even worse, even worse, we have a winter coming that is going to be vicious. This winter, like, I mean, the literal cold, I'm not saying, I don't know if it'll be colder than normal, that's not what I'm saying, but the, the cold of this coming season, it might be the last straw. Uh, for the global economy. We're already seeing it in Europe. I won't bore you with the details. It's actually a really funny story. Maybe I should have like a finance podcast or something like that. But Or maybe that's something I'll do on mixed media, like exclusive content. If you guys want it, uh, just let me know. There's stuff happening abroad that has to do with energy, right? Like oil, you know, oil, uh, natural gas, a whole bunch of stuff that I won't bore you with the geopolitics of. But there's a lot of silliness happening. And in this silliness that, uh, again, don't look this up on, you know, mainstream media and expect to get even close to accurate description of what's going on, whether that's negligence or or not, you know, uh, take your pick, depending on the journalist. What's going to happen here is essentially oil prices are going to go through the roof. Now, we in the United States, we have not experienced that yet because we're roughly we're somewhat insulated from this until as of late, where we sort of intentionally exposed ourselves to this problem. In Europe, they're already experiencing this problem. Uh, Gas prices are astronomical in Europe right now. Now, why I say the cold is going to make this worse is because Europe does not have enough oil or energy in general to get itself through next winter. And I mean that literally, like, I mean, to heat homes. They will end up with enough, but they're going to end up exhausting the global supply of energy to get there. Um, this is something that they're very heated about now, ahead of winter, that everyone's arguing about ahead of winter. This is just another inflation problem, guys, because what's going to end up happening is energy is going to inflate. Supply and demand will take over. This is kind of a self-inflicted wound, but again, we'll bore you with the detail details. But, uh, you know, essentially energy prices are going to skyrocket. They're going to try to buy anything from anywhere to prevent a health catastrophe is really what, what, what would happen. Um, you know, and a national security problem is essentially what would happen in Europe. And gas prices are going to go through the roof. And that's going to bleed over here because we're, we're also doing a self-inflicted wound right now. <laughs> we're already starting to see it in gas prices. If you've been driving around and looking at what you're putting in your tank, it's, that, that, that ain't nothing if we're, if we're looking at Europe as any, uh, as any indication. Now, the second catalyst for inflation is the uh, infrastructure bill. Now, what, what people don't need to understand is that, and I'm not going to comment on the politics of it. I'm not interested in commenting on the show, but in terms of what just being realistic, being real, because that's all we care about is we care about our bottom line, our pockets, right? This, like I said, the inflation is caused largely by monetary, pro- monetary policy and money supply. We literally just have so many dollars in uh, that's really simplifying it. There's all other causes of inflation as well, but we have an increased supply of USD, US dollars. That's pushing the value of the US dollar down. It's just supply and demand. It just leaks into the economy in ways that don't look seamless because that's not how it ever works because our economy economies are complex, right? So with this infrastructure bill, I recommend that you stay away from anything that is telling you that it pays for itself. That is a fantasy. <laughs> it does not pay for itself. Now, the we've already spent, I think, $9 trillion, I, I think is the number, since the beginning of the pandemic on various uh, economic relief stuff, right? So you're saying, you're thinking, yourself, okay, another $1.5 trillion is not that much more. And that, that's true as a ratio, right? But it's like, we have not seen the inflation from the original $9 trillion fully seep into the system yet. As a shorthand, the stock market is essentially absorbing it. So we're not seeing it bleed into all sectors of the economy yet. So adding another $1.5 trillion when you have no idea what's going to happen 
and you're saying it pays for itself, which is ludicrous. Uh, they, they, these people are, 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 are trying to convince you, and I, I mean this sincerely, that giving the IRS more money will somehow raise $414 billion. That's an enormous amount of money. $414 billion from increase in efficiency at the IRS. I don't, there's no sincere economic analysis that would agree with that. So they'd be lucky to increase their revenues by, you know, $10 billion with increased efficiency. So there's that. So that $1.5 trillion is not going to pay for itself, which means it bleeds into the system, which means it's another catalyst for um, inflation. And the thing is, no one actually knows if it's actually $1.5 trillion because the bill is like the size of, you know, probably a person. Um, and, uh, You'll, if you you ask different people how much does it cost, and you get different answers, up to four trillion dollars is the the highest estimate I saw. So these are problems. Now, last time I talked about inflation, I gave you a whole bunch of entertaining solutions, <laughs> not solutions that you have to take, but things I was doing. I'll put it that way. Th things I was doing. You can still go back to that and learn something from it, and uh, make your own decisions about if you you want to copy me or not with the asset split. Now I was talking about conventional asset splits. So I was saying, keep some cash on the side as a safety, you know, just in case, you know, your car breaks down, medical bills, something, keep a healthy uh, reserve of cash, uh, invest in real estate if you can. I cannot, so I'm in that category. Um, invest in stocks, invest in, script, in crypto, invest in gold. And I had my preferred aggressive portfolio for that. Now, I've done really well for myself with that, but we're in a different scenario in the sense that everything is inflated a lot more than I expected on the high end, which means you might be priced out of all those things. What do I mean by that is those things might cost too much for you to enter into now, in a, and it's a lot more risky for you to enter into them. So the stock market is in an inflationary bubble right now, essentially. And it's been doing well for me, but I cannot say with as much confidence that you should enter now, given that it's in such a bubble, as I was saying that it might be a good idea before, right? So these are things that go back to the prior video, learn, learn, learn as much as you can and decide what value you might get from it. Um, not learn from me, I, I mean, learn from as many sources as possible. You're gonna have to look at your own life situation and make your own choices about investing in assets. And the other risk factor for those traditional assets is that cash it just is inflating too much for you to hold too much of it. Like you have to get rid of it. Like, like literally, like you need to not have cash like as much as you can. So even that safety, that safety um, uh, chunk that I said you probably should have is kind of a risk. Like, like you know, that safety. I mean, imagine you said, "Oh, here's this money pot for you, uh, a rainy day fund." But, you know, two years from now, that, that rainy day fund might not even be able to cover your emergency, right? So it's risky to hold that cash, you know, in your emergency fund. I still recommend you have one, but understand the kind of thing that we're experiencing right now. Funny enough, I'm in New York. I think from talking to people, I'm experiencing it a lot more than other people are. I, I think that's what's happening. But my, my grocery bills have gone up like ridiculously, you know, just on a, on a firsthand, you know, basis. You know, my cost of living has gone up quite drastically thus far. So, you know, your money doesn't go as far even now. So the problem with real estate is it's in a bubble. The problem with stocks is it's in a bubble. The problem with stocks also is that it's succumbed to monetary policy that you don't control. So if the Fed does decide to raise rates, you know, a year from now, you don't know when they're going to do it. And if you don't know when you're gonna, they're going to do it, it's always a risk to you, right? With crypto, there's a lot of regulate, regulatory talks that are quite nasty for crypto. I think it's not as bad as some people think it is in terms of what, might, what the regulation might end up looking like. But then again, it's a risk because you don't know what it might actually end up looking like. like and it's not economically controlled, right? This is in the hands of, hands of law, lawmakers to decide how, uh, how crypto gets regulated. And so there's an increased risk there. And then there's gold. And uh, gold, I think, is still a great investment. The only risk to gold these days is that if you own it in a trust on the stock market, that might effectively get yeeted downwards with the rest of the stock market. So I'm saying you might want to actually like literally buy gold, like physical gold. And you can actually have fun with that, which is the fun part of physical gold. You can buy a high quality gold necklace and actually wear it if you want to <laughs> um, here and there. And gold is a great metal in that, in that no matter what you do to it, 
it's not going to, you're not going to mess it up as long as you don't lose it. Um, given all that, I talked a lot about the problems, the catalysts and all that. What are some additional things that I'm doing uh, to help combat these problems? Well, I'm spending, <laughs> I don't have money. Uh, like, you know, I mean, I have money and a lot of it's in assets, but I'm scrapping it out like everyone else with a high cost of living of New York City. It's a, it's a fun time. But, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not in a great situation, but I'm spending like crazy, not buying assets only anymore. I'm just spending because I don't want U.S. dollars. Maybe on the extreme end, I'll say this time, maybe a year from now, I'll be saying on the podcast, oh, hey, look, I, I thought that was extreme and that actually happened. But our U.S. dollar may not become, may not be global standard by the end of uh, 2022. That's how bad things are. I mean, many countries are already talking about it, about not holding U.S. dollars anymore um, and, and screaming at us at, in, in international conferences for our monetary policy that's screwing over the rest of the world, in, in their eyes at least. A lot of people are, are divesting from U.S. dollars in their reserves. What can you do when you don't want the U.S. dollar anymore, when you have no confidence in the U.S. dollar? Well, you gotta have some of it, like I said, in reserve as well. But the tone is a little bit different now. You, the first thing you need to do is look at your, what you own physically in your home and just really appreciate what you have. Now, in a good economy, you can afford to not spend money. That sounds weird. But in a good economy, you could afford to buy a bunch of cheap things from Amazon and spend very little money on your goods. This is a very bad trap. For you to continue doing you need to change your spending habits like crazy you just spend a lot more on the items that you're buying anything you buy spend more money spend a lot more money i'll explain that in a in a in a, in a moment so what items do you want to buy like what 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 inflationary protected protection things would you might want to have the first thing to look at is items that hold value that you actually want or need and i include want by the way you know something like gold might might, might work in that in that category so I might want, I might have been looking at this gold necklace for a long time, you know, in the store and I might want that thing, but I'm like, ah, it's too expensive. Buy it. <laughs> this sounds weird, but buy it. Because why? You can resell it. It's gold, right? You're not buying it just for your pleasure anymore. You're buying it because you want to hold the US dollar's value in an object um, that is a different kind of risky than the typical assets that we, we normally have. So things that hold value. Now, I'll give you some examples because I spent thousands of dollars, actually, literally, doing my inflation strategy. So don't, no one can claim. No one can claim that I don't, I don't do what I, I, I say I would do. Um, and it's been working well for me thus far, every, everything that I've done for myself. I've, so some of the things I've bought, I bought a cast iron skillet. Some things are expensive, some things are not. So this is not that expensive. But what it is, is it holds value, right? So it's literally a big chunk of iron, right? So just on a physical level, it's iron and iron has value as a metal, right? Even if it doesn't have value as a pan, it will always have value as a metal. So I can always sell that, that pan to someone who would want to smelt it, right? This is like going back to like, you know, older type thinking, but it's true. Whereas if I was using a nonstick pan, a cheap one from Amazon, a thin metal stainless steel covered with Teflon kind of thing, not only is it not going to last me as long um, because it has like bolted parts and all that kind of stuff that might come loose and then the value of the thing goes down just from its not lack of usability, but also the Teflon will scratch and scrape and, you know, go away and then it'll become, uh, you know, not useful for yourself. So I'm saying buy something that you might use or want that holds value for long periods of time. My cast iron actually will probably gain value. If you look into the cast iron market, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll see what I mean. But uh, you, there's, there's something called seasoning on cast irons, like, so, which necessarily requires you to cook on them. I don't fully understand the, the chemistry of it. But basically, if you buy a fully seasoned cast iron, you know, it's been seasoned for 20 years, that is going to be worth a lot more money than the new uh, cast iron skillet. Another example is... Uh, I bought my my wife a uh, or you know she picked it out La, uh, Le Creuset. I don't even know what they're called. It's like it's basically cast iron and enameled uh, on the surface. Um, it's very pretty. It's very expensive. What I'm essentially doing there is I'm giving her something to use. Right, it's useful for us. It'll make 
great food, <laughs> you know, um, it'll last a long time. It will last forever. It has a lifetime warranty, which is the golden ticket, right? You're really protecting your value if it has a lifetime warranty. Extremely expensive though. You might be like, oh man, oh, this is something that only rich people buy, right? And I'm not rich and I bought it. Why? As a warranty, lasts forever and the value retains. So if I need in an emergency that money, I can just sell it. It functions as a different sort of emergency fund. But in the meantime, while I have it, I can use it. So it's better than holding on to inflating cash, right? So those are some examples of things that hold value. The second thing that you might want to buy are things that increase productivity and don't break. That's the, that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the caveat. Um, an example of this is uh, we, we bought a um, food processor for our apartment. And a food processor allows you to you know, chop food, you know, makes food preparation a lot quicker, a lot quicker. And I normally wouldn't splurge on a food processor. And I'd be like, that's something for bougie people. If I wasn't trying to spend money like a madman, <laughs> the reason why is because it increases productivity in our house. So not only do I store the value in the object itself that I could resell because it doesn't break, you know, we bought an expensive model that we know has a reputation and has resale value. I literally go on eBay and I go check to see how much of its value it retains. I bought that for that reason, but it also increases our productivity, which allows me to do more work, let's say, and, and uh, bring in more money instead of chopping carrots. Um, it's a different sort of efficiency gain. The last thing is items, if you own a business especially, items that produce or are necessary that you haven't bought yet. So if you're a business and let's say you need a camera, I know Ben's buying a camera uh, <laughs> as of late. So if, if you need a camera, buy it now. If you're on the fence about, 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 about the uh, camera, the price of that camera is going to go up dramatically as inflation goes up. And some of these things have not, their prices have not inflated yet, right? Like they're the same prices they would have been, you know, three years ago. And so buy it now. Don't hesitate. If it's going to produce for you, if it's your, part of your business, that is amazing. So buy it now because you, won't, you might not be able to buy it later as your income dries up and, your, and the money you do have inflates. Oh yeah, here, I wanted to do an example. I had some props here. So this is something that we uh, used to, we, we used to have a whole kitchen set of like these plastic, you know, sort of like cookware stuff. This is the only remaining item from that, uh, from that, that set. And these are like cheap Amazon, probably cost like $20 as a set. Now these, uh, the, we replaced them with these, these wooden spoons. And these wooden spoons are a lot more expensive but there's uh, two things I get from this. A health increase because microplastics are bad for you. So I'm reducing the risk um, that I was accepting before for money reasons. And I'm reducing the risk by replacing with, with wood. And the wood is higher quality for cooking in general. It will not break you know, as easily. And a whole bunch of things that Steph knows about that I don't know. The last thing I'll say, uh, and then I'll wrap up, is uh, debt. Debt. You need debt. <laughs> that sounds weird again, but you need debt. At the worst case, you need any type of debt you can get your hands off that revolves. Meaning once I use it, it comes back again, like a credit card. You know, I can swipe it, pay it off, and then swipe it again, pay it off. You know, it didn't, you know no matter how many times I use it, no one rev revokes my privileges to my credit card. One of the reasons you need this and access to debt is because your life may literally depend on it. This sounds kind of... Um, weird because usually people even with credit cards people are like you never use it even in a, if you can't pay for it even in an emergency in a financial crisis if you if you have a job let's say and it's the difference between losing your job and being on the street or putting gas in your car that you don't know that you can pay for put gas in your car don't be too don't be religious about not using a credit card just for that reason alone because it financial crises don't don't crises don't last forever you know you may not know where that 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 money may come from to make up for it but paying off the debt for the rest of your life is better than being homeless with your children okay that, that that's the uh the uh the the reality of the situation you know however you might disagree or agree with it but the other thing is that if you're a business you have access and i haven't explored this yet i haven't done this yet myself so i can't vouch for it but business debt is extremely good and it's separated from your personal credit it's separated from your your like in terms of bankruptcy if you set everything up right 
if your business becomes bankrupt with your business debt, then you don't become bankrupt. No one comes after your assets if you set everything up properly. What I'm saying is, if there's any reason to become a business at all, any reason at all, and the definition of a business depends state by state, so you really have to do your own research on this. In New Jersey, for example, where I uh, registered uh, Ariella originally, the definition of a business is as simple as trying to make money, trying to make a profit. So the moment I try to make a profit, whether I register or not, I'm a business, which means I have access to all the benefits of a business the moment I'm trying to do that. Now, you don't have to be a mom and pop shop or something. You don't have to have an Etsy store. You don't have to do anything. The moment you try to make a profit now or in the future, the moment you can qualify to be a business, don't worry about whether you'll actually make a profit. Take all the benefits, the tax benefits, take the debt benefits, like what you could uh, potentially uh, uh, acquire in terms of debt, like business credit cards and business uh, lines of credit and all that kind of stuff that I can't go into right now in this episode. Take all of that and run. You know, like, for example, all right, here, I'll, I'll use Ben as an example. So Ben is in school right now. He's not doing anything that overtly would seem business-like, I'm sure, actively at least, right? Or, or am I wrong about that? I don't want to assume. <laughs> no, you're, you are accurate. Okay. Now, Ben has a future where he does want to be potentially freelancing in his skills. He, he might want to offer his skills as a private person, as a essentially as a business, to play the flute for certain media productions and stuff like that. He's not doing that now, by and large, but he has the intent to do it. And he has a lot of things that he needs in order to do those things. So, for example, he might need to buy a flute, a new flute, or, or something like that. He may need to drive to a destination or pay for public transport to go to a, tra- a, a destination. He may need to live in L.A. Oh, hey. So suddenly rent becomes an interesting, interesting thing. I can't tell you all the things because it's really I, I'm, I'm not an expert in the sense of being able to relay what the law is in certain areas and blah, blah, blah. But please look up business benefits in terms of debt and taxation and make yourself a business by any means possible. You, it's very easy to justify. It's not shady. The moment you try to make money now or in the future, most likely you are a business again. Look it up. But you need access to debt. And the reason why is you're looking at your credit card debt right now and you're saying, well, that's 20% APR. That's crazy high. If inflation is 10%, that 20% APR is now 10%. That's insanity. That's, if you're, you know, debt is cheap. If I look at, uh, if I get a, a business line of credit from the local uh, credit union or something like that, they're averaging around, because I've been calling around lately, averaging between 10 to 15%. That number is not going to stay like that because the banks need to keep up with inflation as well, right? But they're trying to hold their uh, their debt uh, percentages as low as possible to try to keep attracting customers while we're in this sort of gray area of are we going to die, basically. So take advantage of this time period. Go find a bank, become a business, you know, uh, do whatever paperwork you need to do to insulate yourself from bankruptcy, get access to debt, And if you are someone like me, a filmmaker, if at all possible, if you need a camera in order to be employed and you don't currently have a camera because yours broke or it's outdated and you don't have the money right now to pay for a $5,000 setup, go become a business, go to your credit union, get a 12% loan. If you can, if you can, if you can, I mean, this, we're not in the level yet where this is an emergency, right? So you still have to do the math and make sure you can pay it off. You know, don't be irresponsible. But that 12% loan is actually 2% for the time being. And that's insane. That's basically free. They're giving you free money. So don't miss up on that opportunity. I never thought we'd be in a time period where inflation would be so high that I would even be saying that loans are effectively 2%. That's free money, basically. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's my rant on inflation. I, you know, uh, really, the update kind of came down to things are worse than I thought they would be. So I was thinking about a lot of the things I was talking about last time, and I was like, a lot of these things you can't even do safely anymore or with the same level of confidence anymore. So what are alternative things? And I was thinking about all the stuff I'd, I have done. You know, I'm, I'm literally looking, I need new shoes. 
I'm literally looking at pay, uh, 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 buying shoes that I, I thought I would have no right to own because they'll last me 10 years, right? <laughs> you know, and I'm looking at buying like $300 shoes, right? That I that are like basically like they they work in most situations, either whether it's a being on set and being comfortable or going out on a date with my wife or something like that. They they look good, but they're a tried and true company that people have literally owned that model of shoe for 10 years uh, and not had anything happen to it. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So that's 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 my spiel. <laughs> Any thoughts, Ben? <laughs> No, it's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff. I I'm, I'm sure too. I mean, I don't know how. I I just took a couple economics classes in college, but I'm sure that um, with the uh, bill, the what build back better uh, bill too. There's, I mean, there's as part of the whole holdup with that getting passed is you know whether that's going to increase inflation or not and of course i know nothing about that but obviously i know that's you know another part of the conversation too yeah 100 percent. yeah it's it's definitely controversial i will i would say i think it's basically not something something that shouldn't happen especially without with a big unknown question mark you know at the very least we can say we don't know what's going to happen when this money is dispersed and that's scary because we're in an unprecedented time in general, you know, we've just spent $9 trillion. That's not normal. At the very least, you could say, let's wait. But yeah, I don't know. It's just do what's best for you. Even if you don't care about the politics of everything and blah, blah, just, you know, people out there, I just want you to protect yourself. That, that, that's really what it comes down to is being real with it and uh, protecting yourself. All right. Yeah, it was a long, uh, long spiel. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around for the whole thing. If you want to see the actual live version unedited, if there's some blooper that I take out or some like side conversation I end up removing because it's you know distracting or something like that, if uh, if there's anything like that that you want to see, I think that's the first type of thing I'm going to be posting on our locals page, which I'm shilling right now. <laughs> so if you want to see all of our raw live uh, live footage, it's going to be permanently linked to at mixedmedia.locals.com. That I think I'm going to leave open for free for now. But while you're there, uh, the Black Friday sale is going on $3 a month. For, that's 40% off of what it normally is. Or you can, I think... I think if it's working properly, you can pay $30 for a whole year. You can you can join there and you get a whole bunch of perks, including a whole bunch of exclusive interactive stuff, uh, including this live whiteboard on the right of the screen that says Black Friday sale there. That's actually a live whiteboard if you saw me drawing on it earlier. Anyway, that's that's those are my plugs. 